0: This podcast was proudly brought to you by the Baby Maker Program with Stacey Roberts. This is FX Medicine, and I'm Andrew Whitfield Cook. Joining me on the line today is Stacey Roberts, the babymaker. A former physiotherapist turned herbalist and naturopath, Stacey has been involved in healthcare since 1989 in both conventional and complementary medicine. Stacey is an internationally recognised natural fertility and women's health expert who has assisted people in over 32 countries with improving their overall health and well-being by addressing not just their physical, but also their physiological and psychological health with complementary products and services. Welcome back to FX Medicine. Stacey, how are you? I'm good.
1: Thank you guys so much for having me back. It's always wonderful to
0: talk to you. Pleasure. So today we're going to be talking about an area of interest to me, um, somewhat controversial because people like to own things, but uh, we're going to be talking about the microbiome in pregnancy and fertility. So um, if, if I can just first ask you, where do we start Right back with fertility issues, like like I guess we need to start with diseases that prevent successful pregnancy, right?
1: Well, you know, um, Andrew, when we talk about this stuff, I guess I want to preface it with the fact that I mean, we have just started to, you know, it just started to tap into the very um, beginning of this research. So, um, you know, a lot of it is, you know, centered around what we can talk about today is, you know, bacterial uh, vaginosis and things like that, which has more research on it. But when we talk about specific fertility diagnoses, you know, as I'm doing the fertility mentoring program and the modules about PCOS, endometriosis, recurrent miscarriage, there's more and more research that's starting to be... um, are utilized or are done in, in these areas. So we're just kind of scraping the, the tip of the iceberg as we talk about specific, you know, fertility issues related to the microbiome. But um and there's gonna be so much more that's out there. Oh. But there's definitely you know definitely in the research that the correlation with issues with the microbiome and fertility issues, whether yeah. they're cause and effect that's, you know, we just don't know that at
0: this point. I wonder if we'll ever get to a stage where we have medical, like true medical guidelines with regards to probiotics because we like to think that we, you know, can isolate one and then therefore that's that, that's the hero. But that's not necessarily right. true from one population to another, one group to another. So there's just so many things that Correct. we need to work out before we can say that is true, for instance. But, but things Absolutely. like bacterial vaginosis, um, group B strep infections, they have a real issue, you know, notwithstanding that they're not medically treated with probiotics, but they certainly are mm-hmm. bacteria that that you know may normally reside, and they're out of whack, causing a disease.
1: Well, you know, some of the new research is actually pointing in the direction of, of women who are resistant to antibiotic treatment for. Uh, BV, you know, to utilize probiotics as as a possible either along with the antibiotic or mm-hmm. if the, if the antibiotic hasn't been, you know, creating the results that they want. So we are moving in that direction. I think from uh, eventually there will be uh, a medical doctor recommending probiotics. At least I'm hoping that uh, they'll be recommending probiotics as one of the first line treatments for for BV because you know, it's it's the most common vaginal disorder in reproductive women and, and there's often millions of visits for, for, to healthcare providers every year. So it's it's definitely something that um we could utilize from an educational point of view to help women understand the importance of of the microbiota and you know their gut health as well as their vaginal health and um you know so it's I'm hoping that based on these studies, we're going to be starting to see it go that
0: way. I'm I'm glad you said the word microbiota because the flavour of the month word is microbiome, but that's regarding the genetic material, not the organisms. And right. you, you know, exactly. and I think we really need to make that distinction. We're falling into this trap of saying microbiome, which I've got to say it's it's very easy to do that. You know, we fall in we fall right. into these colloquialisms because they roll off the tongue. Mm-hmm. But you said the right word, microbiota. Yeah. I remember reading a story, and and I still need to find this this paper. But I remember a a um a paper talking about the temporal progression of the various probiotics when they were recovering from vaginal infections. So I think, forgive me, our listeners, if I get this wrong, but I think from memory it was lactobacillus iners was first and set up the shop and seemed Mm -hmm. to make the foundations for the progression that Mm -hmm. then... Lactobacillus crispatus could come in, and then there were others in temporal progression. Is that right? Is that what you see? Or?
1: That's basically what I've seen in the research, especially what you talked about, the lactobacillus, as as kind of that first primary one that kind of setting the stage. Um, but I think you know what we're going to find is again from a microbiome point of view and a, a genome point of view, that it, it's going to probably vary with populations and, um, you know, where where people have lived and what we yeah. see in regards to even and things like that. But, yeah, that's absolutely what I've seen in the research as well, too. And there's a temporal shift with uh, pregnancy as well. So, of course, um, yes. So, you know, changes the microbiome changes the microbiota changes through pregnancy um, as well uh, as in breastfeeding becomes much more, uh, much less diverse uh, in that. So the body is, you know, obviously doing that to prepare for something, to either support the growth of the fetus or and support the, the mother as well, or or prepare for after. You know, um, the body's pretty smart. So if it's doing that, it's doing it for a reason.
0: So with regards to. The recovery from bacterial vaginosis after antibiotic therapy, which may well be appropriate, and certainly group B strep, which can have some devastating consequences if left uncontrolled, is that really the the place for probiotics to recover?
1: Um, I think you know we've seen some benefits with probiotics along with the antibiotics, as we're taking the antibiotics as well. Um, you know, off the subject of fertility, I just you know, had my son who went to. Um, the doctor, because we had a persistent, what we thought was a sinus infection, ended up being a glandular fever, but we didn't know that at the time. And they prescribed an antibiotic only because I was absolutely, totally desperate to do something about this, what seemed to be a sinus infection that wasn't clearing up. But the uh, physician also prescribed along with that the use of probiotic. And my son's mouth just about dropped <laughs> into the floor, and he just smiled and looked at me because yeah, you know, I mean, you know, we've been talking about that since he was, yeah. you know a little guy. Yeah. So I think. In that in that sense, we're we're finding that along with the antibiotic treatment, whether it's BV or you know, any bacterial uh, issue, that the probiotic along with the antibiotic uh, can be useful. Um, and certainly from recovery, I mean that's without question that you know that's been shown in research from the you know uh, the diarrhea point of view to uh, you know crush uh, point of view from antibiotics for sure. So. Um, And also, again, like I said at the beginning, that there is some uh, treatment for women who have been resistant to recovering from the antibiotics to actually uh, utilize probiotics uh, vaginally um, to combat the BB.
0: Now, you know, what's interesting to me is, you know, when you're looking at research, obviously scientists want to control things, so they need something specific. And that's down to the strain level. And I have I have no issue when you've got you know exactly what you're using, the cohort fits the patient, um, the cohort of the research fits the patient that you're seeing, and so you go. I want to use that strain, but I do have issues where we think, you know, it's basically your poo's better than mine, um, but but particularly when you get research done in one culture mm-hmm. transposed to somebody of a totally different culture. Um, I just, I have issues and, you know, we've seen this with like, for instance, lactobacillus rhamnosus GG, it was touted and it's, you know, it was for atopic dermatitis. Actually, no. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you, you use that in Western Australia and it fails and indeed can increase wheeze. Now, it may be that it might be that, you know, the timing of the, uh, when you give the organism, but it certainly doesn't seem to be the hero that it was originally set up to be for that condition. Um,
1: right, a okay. Forward, you know, and and that's where, like you said, population is going to be a big impact on the results, you know yeah. what what bugs they're exposed to in in their environment and then how the body reacts to that. So uh, I think we're getting better there as we're looking at the the genome and specific, you know having personalized medicine and personalized nutrition. Um, that's certainly going to be affecting um, probiotics as well. But just like you know, trying to take the active out of a plant and make it into medicine—that's right. yeah. um, you know going to be the that active is going to be the answer. It's not necessarily the case uh, many times. So it's about you know what colonies, what uh, groups, what communities to work best together. Um, to create the healthiest microbiome for that particular um, micro, um,
0: microflora and microbiota for that particular person. Mm. Um, one issue that uh, that interests me, um, and I'm not saying don't do it, I just think it's very interesting, that it's standard operating procedure to give all babies a vitamin K injection, Kanakian, at birth, and that's to prevent um, uh, profuse bleeding tendencies two weeks on. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, obviously fatal, devastating. Um, so, yeah. notwithstanding that, the consequences of not having. The Kanakian can be devastating. I just think it's interesting that why have humans evolved to be vitamin K deficient at birth?
1: I could speculate on that, obviously, but I think, well, vitamin K is in green vegetables, you know, and, you know, vitamin K1 specifically. And what have we completely gotten away from yeah. in our diet yeah. We're coming into a more industrialized society over, you know, the last hundred years. Um, you know, clearly, you know, vegetables and, and all the, you know, the, those good things that we should be eating that are, very diverse in all micronutrients and, and macronutrients that they that they have, and then the, the vitamin K two is you know made from you know, bacteria in the gut. So as we're talking you know about this and probiotics and the, um, and the antibiotics bacteria, mm. and the use of antibiotics. Absolutely, um, that's going to then deplete the, the body's ability to create those types two types of uh, K one and two, so it doesn't. You know, it, it makes a lot of sense of how we are, have evolved to that point, unfortunately. So hopefully, um, it, it's common sense to people to, you know, as we change that idea of how we need to eat and how we need to take care of our gut, that hopefully that improves. And, you know, maybe someday we won't need
0: to be doing more injections. Mm. So what do you find the facility of using specific strains? Like, um, for instance, I remember there was a, um, a product and it contained the Lactobacillus rhamnosus L60 and the Lactobacillus fermentum L23 um, for use with, um, actually, was that group B strep or was that bacteria? I think that was for bacterial vaginosis might have that wrong. Mm-hmm. Hopefully, those strains are for that condition. Forgive me if they're not listeners. Um, but what do you find the usefulness in patients? Like, is it something that you can say, yes, it works?
1: Uh, you know, that's a really good question. I, I, it's what we kind of alluded to before is it doesn't always have that same effect that we want to see across the board. So where I'm at in this whole situation is looking at all right. What is the evidence that's in front of us? We know that lactobacillus is um, a very uh, at a very high level in the uh, vaginal uh, flora. Huh. Um, it's all and it's an area that uh, when the BV is present, we usually see less of the lactobacillus present. So. And I really worried at this point about the absolute specific strains, um, and you know which one is going to work, and which you know specific combination, and how much of each strain, and how many CFUs of each do we need. At this point, I just don't think we're there yet. Hmm. So what I'll do is is start really with the gut, really first of all, yep. because that's going to have a systemic impact on you know on the the whole person, and then look at. Uh, doing things you know, vaginally if necessary, and, and having you need lactobacillus, because that's the environment that
0: that we're wanting to support. Well, so you mentioned diet, and look, I wholeheartedly support that. indeed, I think that's the way that we're going to find um you know this sort of area progressing is the use at least the use of prebiotics and certain other fibers and foods and substrates um to help bacteria to grow. Um, probiotics mm-hmm. to grow, um, not, with, not restricting them to the dairy-type based probiotics that we have available to us in Australia, because I think there's, what, 14 species that we have um, of the mm-hmm. the plethora, <laughs> the, the legion of organisms that we have growing in our gut. But uh, look, I love the way that you say about diet. So when you're talking about certain fibers and when you're talking about fertility issues, what sort of fibers do you tend to recommend or what sort of foods do you tend to recommend indeed?
1: Well, I have my five-step fertility solution, which is the number one step is optimal eating plan. So I'm going to be looking at uh, getting more fiber multiple soluble and insoluble fiber in their diet um, as a general rule. However, if their gut health is poor, is you start to add this extra fiber and let's say, you know, in the and sometimes that can set them back and it can become more constipated. So it's, it's also important to assess how their eating plan is, what their gut health is at first, and then potentially, uh, you know, starting with some probiotics and obviously getting the sugars and things out of the diet that are causing the issues in the first place. And then slowly adding in fiber. I'm not a big proponent of doing, you know, 40, you know, or fifty of fiber, you know, right away, even though that's what they're saying, you know, we should be having in our diets. So it's more I start with their eating plan first, just to get the, the, the most optimal basic eating plan and get the things out that are causing the inflammation and causing the dysbiosis. And then, you know, supporting that with a good probiotic, occasionally doing a cleanse if necessary, and then adding fiber if there is a to tolerate that, both soluble and insoluble.
0: Stacey, forgive me, I just want to backtrack a little bit to bacterial vaginosis, BV. Would you mind taking our lessons through some of the associated morbidity and indeed mortality issues with regards to BV and later pregnancy?
1: Sure, absolutely. Um, BV has, been, has not been associated with decreased conception rates, either naturally or with um, uh, assisted reproductive techniques, but it has been associated significantly with the elevated risk of Pre-clinical pregnancy loss. So uh, a person is pregnant but before they're officially pregnant clinically, um, they have seen that women with BB usually are higher as far as pre-clinical pregnancy loss. But it's not associated with increased risk in the first trimester of miscarriage, but it can be associated with um, later term miscarriage as well, too. So it is definitely something that needs to be addressed and, uh, physician needs to be evaluating this and the appropriate use of antibiotics through pregnancy as well, and from a naturopathic point of view, and being able to support that from the uh, probiotic point yeah. of view as well too.
0: Yeah, um, there was very interesting research done by Madrid University, uh, a group there. Um, uh, forgive me, Rodriguez Fernandez. I think there was Esther Jimenez. She's one of the highlighters. Um, and this group did research um, on the health of breast milk. Now, they were looking at mainly mastitis. They're, they're branching out into other areas now, and they isolated certain strains, the kecht strains, um, which they've used for mastitis. Indeed, there was some research showing that we're using, I think it was um, lactobacillus salivarius, um, kecht 573, uh, and that had better outcomes than the antibiotics and less recurrence, which is a a common issue with mastitis. But what about the use of other species for the health of breast milk in general, indeed for the health of the mother during pregnancy with other conditions? And I I guess where I'm looking at is practical things like, you know, what about in later pregnancy with things like heartburn?
1: Absolutely, um, probiotics certainly have helped with digestion. You know, we know that. They, you know, I would say uh, all the listeners, from a clinical standpoint, is understanding that it you know, supports nutrient absorption. So, anytime you're supporting nutrient absorption, you're going to support improved overall cellular health. But definitely, been associated with decreasing uh, reflux and uh, those types of symptoms in pregnancy. But also, you know, probiotics can help reduce the risk of postpartum depression in, in some cases. So, you know, there's been some preliminary research on that, Um, you know, that the probiotics alter the neurotransmitters in the gut, which, you know, can boost the ability to deal with anxiety and depression. So, you know, utilizing probiotics to hopefully, you know, either uh, decrease the risk or prevent postpartum depression is, you know, fantastic. And also there's been research about women with taking probiotics that um, have a reduced risk of frequency as well. So, you know, it's just a lot of really good information about out there about that. And is that, be, is that bottom line, because it's encouraging nutrient absorption, um, um, potentially yeah. decreasing inflammation in the gut? We don't know exactly why that is, but they're definitely making these associations. And as far as you know, probiotics and breast milk, what I thought, one study that I found was really interesting is that women who were given probiotics throughout the pregnancy, and then um, the amount of probiotics uh, in their um, breast milk was measured afterwards. Women who gave who had uh, birth vaginally had higher levels yes. of probiotics in their breast milk than women who um, had birth via C-section. So again, I mean, you know, they're taking the same probiotics, but why is that? you know, Why is that happening in the body? But. Clearly, you know prebiotics that the human you know milk has, human breast milk has with the oligosaccharides to promote the growth of more probiotics. You know that's definitely present in breast milk as well as probiotics. So we know that it has can have a beneficial effect. I'm not sure again that we're there on specific strains for mastitis or any, anything else, um, but certainly it's marketed for that. You know mm. in many cases, um, but uh, it, it just you know makes it's kind of common sense, you know, doesn't it? I mean, looking at that as a, a bacterial infection and, and how probiotics help to uh, support optimal, optimal health and decrease those types of bacterial infections. Yeah. yeah.
0: Well, what I think is really interesting is when you get researchers like uh, Lisa Amir, and she did the Castle trial, found that we weren't just seeing that they weren't seeing um, the traditional culprits for mastitis, but they were also seeing candida albicans as a sort of yeah. emerging mm-hmm. culprit. And so it sort of begs the difference, what should we, we be doing to treat these women? Um, right. Very, very interesting stuff. Um, so we might, we might put that research up on the uh, FX Medicine website for practitioners to access. So, so where to now with probiotics? What, what do you think the practical utility is? And can you give any hints to our listeners, our practitioner listeners, with regards to dosage or indeed combinations or indeed use with diet to make them more effective?
1: It, you know, as we talked about in my other podcast, it's, it's always difficult to say, to give a recipe that's going to be good for everybody. Yeah. So I'll give you my philosophy, and then as practitioners, we've got to decide You know, what's right for that person in front of us. So basically, my philosophy, as we talked about in my five-step fertility solution, is number one is going to be looking at their eating plan. They can get prebiotics in their eating plan, fermented foods as, as much as they can tolerate or if they can tolerate that, you know, starting to introduce that into their eating plan something simple as sauerkraut or kimchi or something that they can utilize um, uh, and and begin to introduce. And then starting to reset the overall health of the gut, you know, depending, again, on how severe their gut health is, you know, starting with a gentle cleanse. I don't do, you know, very heavy detoxes when somebody's trying to become pregnant because I don't want to upset their system and put more stress on their system when it's already significantly stressed, both emotionally and physiologically. So I'll do more of a gentle cleanse with um, um, some uh, great herbs and then add in some probiotics and uh, usually multi-strain probiotics um, because it's very diverse and broad spectrum. Uh, And I think it it sets a good base for the majority of people. And then from there, there's other testing that can be done. You can do an organic acids test to look and see if there's specific issues with um, gut bacteria. And then they can give you um, specific uh, recommendations based on some of the testing that's out there. You know, they can do some uh, stool uh, testing as well to see what strains may be missing uh, for that particular person if you're not getting the results from a good broad-spectrum probiotic. Um, And then, uh, you know, monitoring and testing to make sure that you're getting the results that that you want, Uh, although it can be expensive to review, uh, like an oats test, the organic essence test, or the stool testing. But if you're not getting the results, looking at uh, retesting those in three or four months' time, to be able to assess where the patient is at. So, I'm a big proponent of following up and monitoring and not just giving them something and assuming that it's actually going to be working, um, especially if they're not getting pregnant and not getting
0: the result that they want. Yeah. Can I ask, when you're looking at fermented foods like kimchi, notwithstanding that there's billions of Asians eating kimchi, um, Mm -hmm. or at least hundreds of millions, um, and that this is quite safe for the populace that normally eats this, what about the risk with infectious agents, like, for instance, um, listeria? Um, with now, it's normally, you know, you know, we call them buffet foods and and the preserved meats and things like that.
1: I really think it, it, it has to do with the source. So, if you are are making them yourself, um, or you know, know of a good uh, reputable source that you're purchasing them from, from your health food shop or wherever you're getting them. I I personally, clinically, and I can only speak in in that realm, is that I haven't seen it be a problem. The problem that I do see is that some people's system just can't tolerate it because they just, you know, uh, they aren't used to it. Their gut health isn't to the point where they can tolerate, you know, um even a little bit of probiotics, much less prebiotics as yeah. well. Yeah. So I haven't seen that side of things, Andrew, from, from a clinical point of view for it to be a problem. Um but I you know I certainly can't speak on the global scale of how that um is impacting people. But from any any type of thing with Listeria, you know, you gotta look at the source, where you're getting it from, you know, has it been sitting there for a is it, you know, um, is it something that, you know, looking at those buffets well, I try not to eat all things, really, because it's a little bit scary with the food
0: sitting out that Yeah, long. yeah. Well, I've never heard it associated with fermented foods. I've heard it with things like, you know, things left out. And I think, right, you know, exactly. salmonella, for instance, is not, not listeria, but salmonella is associated highly with eggs. And we've seen outbreaks right. in Australia with that.
1: I would imagine with fermented foods, and I'm no expert by any means, but I would imagine with fermented foods that it has their own defense mechanism against things like that, uh, based on everything that's going on at, at, uh, at the microscopic level of how things are dividing and multiplying and, and growing. So mm-hmm. Again, that would be a great question for a Fermentation uh,
0: specialist. Yeah, well, I just think it's really interesting. You know, we—I would think a lot of, not most, but a lot of pregnant women in Australia would say, "I'm not going to have sashimi, for instance, or mm. sushi," mm-hmm. and yet, you know, it's a traditional Japanese dish. Um, right. Notwithstanding that there may be, you know, preparation issues um, from sitting too long on a grocery store shelf. Um, mm-hmm. it, as I mentioned, eggs with salmonella before, but again, I don't think eggs have been listed as a high-risk food for mm. no. um, for pregnant women.
1: No, I, I I th- say, and again, we're probably talking about population there too, right? So if if you've grown up on those types of foods, the body has probably created some type of mechanism um, against you know the you know, even if that uh, is present. Uh, you know, fighting against that, right? If you know, if your population that's you know, majority of the foods that you're eating, mm. your body would usually accommodate to that environment. So, in a, an environment where those aren't the same types of foods that that you're eating, that could be more of a, an issue. Um, I guess looking at it from a logical point of view, um, but from the standpoint of um, you know, understand, you know, sometimes women who are pregnant are afraid to eat anything. Mm. You know? they're, they just don't know what to eat because they're told not to eat vegetables and salads and things like that because of the risk of listeria, and that so sometimes that listeria can become a bit of a hysteria.
0: Yeah, well, it is a, it is actually a, quite a but rare disease, but it can be devastating for for the for the infant. Yeah, um, so I think from memory it was like deli meats. Um, I think those you know pre-prepared even plant foods there, pre-prepared things. I remember like a. Um, what do you call it? Coleslaw, um your buffet right. meals, and even
1: things like you know soft serve ice creams, right? You know, soft cheeses, and you,
0: soft you, cheeses with the other one, wasn't right? It? Is that right? Exactly. Yep.
1: Those types of things. Yep.
0: So they're the issues, um, not the fermented foods.
1: Correct, but, but again, that I've seen, um, and, and it, it just makes sense to me that if they eat healthily. Um, and again, know where the sources of the food that's coming from and that it hasn't been sitting out in the back of some kitchen somewhere before they've served it. Um, you know, it's just going to be less likely to cause an issue.
0: Yeah. So I think practitioners, if they're going to be recommending uh, certain changes to dietary foods in, in pregnancy, they just need to be aware of the um, level of competence or knowledge of healthy eating of the patient.
1: Right, exactly, and, and really in, in, encourage them. And this would be common sense with the, again the majority of practitioners. Encourage them to prepare their own foods, yeah. and you know, make sure that they can and monitor, you know, you know what they're doing, how long the food has been out, you know, all that type of stuff, and eating fresh, yeah, you know, as much as possible.
0: So, Stacey, just in wrapping up, and I I, I allude to a comment you made before about probiotics were used to. Uh, allay some of the side effects of antibiotic therapy. And so they are given with antibiotics. And m- my issue, I guess, with taking probiotics is they may be useful. If you take enough, certainly some are going to get through, but they're very often killed. So you've got to get into this kill, replace, kill, replace scenario, which mm-hmm. the compliance is diabolical with patients. Other other than that, though, there's the utility of, of Saccharomyces boulardii, Can you take our listeners through what's the relevance of that? What's the uses of Saccharomyces boulardii? And, you know, the research that's, you know, with regards to safety, with fertility, and indeed with pregnancy.
1: Sure. Um, With the Saccharomyces boulardii, how how I utilize it in the clinic would be someone who has, you know, significant issues with, you know, what's called leaky gut, which is now becoming a more um, commonly used term in medicine as well. Uh, that someone who um, has significant issues, because if all you're doing is giving them probiotics, you know some of the studies have shown that you know, the lasting effects of probiotics is you know two weeks. So you take probiotics for two weeks, and then you know, if you take probiotics for a couple of days, and if you do measurement of gut health in, in two weeks, then those probiotics are not necessarily going to be there. So it's you know it's uh, it, you're not just wanting to continue to replace replace, you also want to do and support some repair of the gut. You know of the tight junctions that potentially are affected or has been, you know, damaged from increased inflammation over time. So, Saccharomyces huh. boulardii improving the uh, levels of the secretory IGA helps in the repair of the gut. So, uh, you utilizing that prior to administration of probiotic if someone is you know has significant gut health issues when dealing with fertility issues. But really making an extremely important point to explain to the patients why you're doing this. Because if you're not making the connection of how their gut health is going to improve their overall cellular health and, and that can impact hormone levels, you know, they'll just think you're trying to solve them another thing. So really having to educate and make that connection between why the gut is important for their fertility uh, and then utilizing saccharomyces severity and along with um, a good probiotic after you know introducing that for a bit of time, then adding probiotic. Uh, and sometimes I'll even do a, a cleanse prior to adding the um, SB into the scenario as well. And again, it really depends on the patient that's sitting really in front of you, how involved they are, and what they tolerate. So I put patients on the SB, and they have not been, been able to tolerate it at all. Um, and so we go backwards and go, or not necessarily backwards, we take a step back hmm. and look and see what, what we be doing now? Let's do a general clean out, let's decrease inflammation, utilize some um, herbals, um, and you know, marshmallows great, you know, uh, uh, kind of to uh, soothe the gut as well. Mm. And then, then reintroducing these things, but again, educate, educating the patient is number one about how these things are associated and how that's going to improve their fertility because. Even though probiotics are very much out there in the public domain now and people understand or at least know what they are, uh, they still don't understand the connection of how that's going to improve their fertility or yeah. overall health or whatever that's you need
0: for. Yeah. I remember looking at Saccharomyces boulardii and there was, um, I couldn't find any direct research of Saccharomyces and in pregnancy. There was a couple of studies that says, but it seem, appears to be safe. There was one that said, look, we, we just don't know, so you shouldn't take it. But I, I note that mm-hmm. there's been millions and millions of doses sold. Some at least of those mm-hmm. would have been taken by pregnant women, but I cannot find an adverse outcome from taking right. and pregnancy I, I, during pregnancy. Um, I like to pick up on a, a point you made there about marshmallow, a beautiful herb. Mm-hmm. Um, I point out mm-hmm. to our listeners, we are not talking about the lolly. <laughs> we, we are talking about the herb. <laughs> and and the glycidract tastes a hell of a lot better than the fluid extract, the alcohol fluid extract, I can tell you. <laughs>
1: Absolutely.
0: Absolutely. Do, do you ever use the, the, the herb itself, the dried herb? I, I've never actually found it, but
1: I've utilized it to make make a decoction uh, and try to make something that is actually usable for myself. And it's been quite an interesting (laughs) of it's very sticky and it just sticks to everything. So, So, um, I stick to the roasted marshmallows from that point of view uh, as using them uh, away from tinctures <laughs> or glycers as, as you said. <laughs> um, but it's a be- it is a beautiful word to utilize for uh, for gut indigestion. Oh, as well. absolutely,
0: yeah, yeah, so glycotract listeners. Mm-hmm. Um, and what are the points uh w- with regards to probiotics in pregnancy? We've covered the diet. What about things like um the importance of exercise? Uh, and, you know, I've seen this with regards to, I think it was exercise your bugs or um, that, that exercise can affect your microbiota in a positive way.
1: Absolutely. And, you know, um, again, I'll move back to my five-step fertility solution because it's very straightforward. Number one is the eating plan. Number two is removing toxins. And, you know, uh, that's a whole another talk about how, you know, chemicals and toxic exposure impact our um, microbiota. Uh, and also our microbiome as well, um, you know, and you know, uh, epigenetics and uh, methylation mm. pathway, on and on and on. We could talk about that forever. Yep. Uh, then it's supplementation, so we've covered that, and exercise is step number four along with stress management because both will uh, ex- exercise is a form of stress management uh, as long as it's balanced uh, for that person. Um, so absolutely, there's been some great research showing the uh, improvements of, of – uh, gut health, uh, with exercise and with stress management. Um, so probiotics uh, have, uh, have been shown to improve, like we talked about in pregnancy for uh, decreasing risk of postpartum depression, potentially. Um, you know, probiotics have been shown to help uh, in certain strains have been shown to help to, with anxiety and depression and certainly exercise, you know, helps with those symptoms as well too. So from that point of view, you know, it just is such a, a good um, adjunct to the program to help support, you know, my five-step fertility solution, but really overall general health as well. You know, adding probiotics to support all those areas, you know, hormonal health. There's some studies about probiotics and um, you know hormone metabolism and how it assists with that in, in the gut. So and and then there's the microbiota all over the body. I mean, there's a uterine microbiota, mm. which they thought they used to think that the uterus was some sterile, and now they are detecting that there's a, a uterine microbiota, which may impact miscarriage or in recurrent miscarriage if that's not
0: wow. That's not.
1: So so much research going on. Oh, absolutely um, about all the different areas of the body.
0: Absolutely, watch this space, <laughs> Stacey. Thank you so much for taking our listeners through the important aspects of infertility with regards to microbiota and the potential use of certain probiotics and indeed diet. Um, you know, I really do. I love the way that you take people through the, the practical aspects, but you concentrate on these, these basic 10As that we should all be doing um, before we look at um, the, even consider a supplement. Um, and I really, really implore, I re, sorry, I really respect you for that. That's great. Thank
1: you. And thank you so much for having me again. And I look forward to our next talk.
0: This is FX Medicine, and I'm Andrew Whitfield-Cook. Hi, I'm Andrew Whitfield-Cook. Here at FX Medicine, we strive to remain clinically relevant. So stay in touch with us and please let us know how we're doing. We love hearing from you. You can email info at fxmedicine.com.au or contact us via Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.